Welcome back to the DigiGods podcast. Mm. It's Wade here with uh, Tim, standing in for Mark. Standing once in again. for Mark. Standing in for Mark. We're uh, we are gonna we're banking the show early, and uh, we're gonna give Mark a little bit more time to get over his viral bronchitis, which I guess his doctor told him uh, the, the coughs hang around for six weeks now. Oh, I could see that. That's awful, dude. All, all the bugs. All the viruses, yeah. all the you know, all the bacteria, all the you name it, they're all more virulent, angrier, and generally <laughs> just kind of pissed off at Mark. <laughs> well, anyway, we're gonna we're gonna hopefully give him uh, until close. We probably come back around the uh, what are we now? We're like uh, early October. So, are you a flu shot guy? Do you, oh are, yeah, you, I already you, have mine. You got the baby, everybody done. Does, yeah, does when, you, when you have a toddler, you got you you, you you do the thing. Yeah, you do the thing. I you you know I don't know whatever. I, I guess I'm going to. I'm getting to be that age where you have to do it because yeah. the CDC recommends that people my age. <laughs> so it's like you know how you have that period in between your babies. You know, yeah. got to do the babies. Then yeah. you have that period where you're kind of safe, and then you get to be a certain age where yeah. oh, you should get the blue shot, <laughs> the flu shot at, at, at your age. <laughs> what the hell does that mean? Anyway, I'm going to get one anyway. Yeah, no, I already have mine for this season. I used they used to give it to me in halves. I don't even take the halves anymore. Give me the full dose. <laughs> Good. Yeah, it used to be the doctor would be like, I'll give you half a shot now and half a shot in three or four days. It's like, no, I'll take the whole dose right now. Shoot me up. Uh, so anyway, we got some listener mail. I was going to hang on to uh, until uh, till Mark came back, but it's it's we can we can we can talk through a lot of this. Uh, and uh, otherwise, we're we're in. Uh, we talked about last week how we're kind of getting ramping up for award season, so yeah. it's all all in the offing. Yeah, I haven't gotten any more screeners though. I ha- I haven't either, which is sort of strange. We had that little run of screeners, yeah. two or three. Some of the people getting out early. Uh, but this is but this, here's the thing. You know, as I, as we look toward the films that we'll be, yeah, I, I, there's not a single film that I'm deeply, deeply anticipating, looking forward mm. to. Greatly, you know, as a part of this run through yeah. the award season, there's nothing that they, look. Moonlight um, uh, is a little indie uh, yeah. uh, that people are talking about. You know, came out of a well, and and, and on the on the heels of the on the heels of all of the the diversity stuff. Yeah, everyone is focusing on Birth of a Nation, Birth loving, of a Nation. loving, and Moonlight. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the three. Yeah, all of which strike me as interesting films for they, one but, reason. But or you're another, right; they're but not. No. But they're not sort of boom. Here's your yeah. Here's yeah. your Rain Man, or here's your yeah. You know, yeah, no, I get that, or yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, something King's speech, you know, right? Yeah, something yeah. will. I have a feeling something will emerge. That it'll, it will have to be I, one of those it, years where something emerges. La La Land, yeah, there's the one. Yeah, that's the one that everybody went nuts for coming out of Toronto. I, but how do you feel about it? What are, what, what are your? What, you I, know, I mean, what? do you have a knot in your stomach? Are you, are you, are you I, hair on the back of your neck? Yeah, for La La Land, I think I am. Yes, yeah, so yeah. I'll have to. I'll have to. I'll have to see. I don't know because it because it has it looks like because for for thirty years I've thought if only Coppola could have made one from the heart properly, mm. and that looks like properly. And because I you know I think he's a super talented director. So yeah, yeah. Ryan Gosling, right? Uh, Ryan Gosling in it with Emma Stone, with Emma Stone. but directed by uh, what's his name uh, Whiplash. The Whiplash, Whiplash kid, guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it'll be interesting. All right, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So anyway, uh, let's 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 plow into it. We've got uh, we got some television. We got some foreign and docs and music. Um, let's see. You know what? We here here's a good thing to start with. This is what we're going to start with. Uh, Olive, we love the people at Olive. And uh, Olive, of course, does all these great licensing deals, and uh, they come out with a lot of great classics. Olive 
his uh, Olive is is doing it one better. We now have the Olive signature line. And this is such a great idea because these are, you know, this is Olive shining a spotlight on uh, on films that really are just legendary classics. They want you to pay extra special attention to these particular Olive Blu-rays. And uh, the first two are out. And what, a, what an amazing pair they are. The first one, Joan Crawford in Johnny Guitar, uh, directed by the great Nicholas Ray, who, of course, did Rebel Without a Cause and King of Kings and many, many other really cool films. Kind of an unheralded auteur. Um, this is mastered from a brand new 4K restoration, and they loaded it up with extras. That's the, the key thing about the uh, signature line, the olive signature line. They are really, really going to town on, uh, on the extras, and the extras are just so, so, so great. Uh, it comes in, they, both of these come in, uh, the other one is the, uh, that's the real killer, but they, both of these come with a, uh, in a Blu-ray, a clear plastic Blu-ray keep case in a, uh, a very, very nice, high-quality uh, cardboard sleeve. And here's what you get as far as the extras, and it, it's gorgeous. Johnny Guitar is so so gorgeous. If you don't know this movie, it uh, it is, it's a it's one of the better feminist westerns uh, of the uh, 1960s and 50s. And the 1950s and 60s were just loaded with all kinds of sort of feminist westerns. Yeah. But this is one of the better ones uh, with Joan Crawford uh, playing, you know, a woman who's got to sort of hold her own against uh, all the, the the forces that are conspiring against her. And it's really, really great. Sterling Hayden, who my mother was almost a nanny for, you know, I, did you know that? You told, yeah, I, I, I told know that. Yeah, yeah that's, my, that's when my parents were dating. My father uh, talked her out of his like, you don't want a nanny, that man's family. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, yeah, Sterling Hayden is uh, is the title character Johnny Guitar, and uh, who you know he's a former gunfighter who who you know has a thing for her, and it's just. It's just, uh, it's a really, really, really great film. Um, the the extras here include um, a Martin Scorsese introduction, which is great, an audio commentary by film critic Jeff Andrew, which is also really, really good, and then a whole bunch of really, really interesting extras, including Johnny Guitar, a feminist Western, question mark, which is a uh, one of several conversations that they have with historians and film critics. And uh, the one of the, I mean, there's like a half dozen of these, and they're all really, really good. And then the um, the most interesting thing here to me is uh, my friend, the American friend, which is um, kind of a, a reminiscence on uh, Nicholas Ray, which I thought was really, really touching and wonderful. And there's also Free Republic, Herbert J. Yates, and the story of Republic Pictures, uh, who originally made it. Really great stuff, just terrific. So that's Johnny Guitar. On Blu-ray from Olive Signature, and then that that was that was in particular a sort of precursors to some of the the big television shows that featured very much the, so. the, the Big Valley with Barbara Stanwyck, Barbara Stanwyck for sure. the yeah. Virginian, those shows. Like, they they sort of came out of that whole. They did. They did. Uh, the the feminist western thing, the you know the uh, the the roundtable kind of discussion here is also really really particularly good. And then here's the one that you just you have to get even if you're even if you're not a Johnny Guitar fan, this thing is a must own. I'm talking about Olive Signature's release on Blu-ray of High Noon. Ah, um, Fred Fred Zinnemann. Oh my gosh, it's just so good. Fred Zinnemann, you know. And there's a great there's a great story about Gary. Co- you know, Gary Cooper is often undersold as an actor, and I've been one of those who's often undersold as an actor. He's just he's a very stone faced actor who yeah. talks quite sincerely and looks a little bit sincere and then doesn't really act. But that's not the case. There's a, there's a great story where Zinnemann, who of course had done From Here to Eternity and many, many other great films, and uh, Zinnemann was, was um, 
trying to get Gary Cooper to really kind of chew the scenery a little bit. You know, you're walking down. Emote a little, Gary. Really emote. Just you're, you're walking down and they're coming for you and you got to look like this and that and the other thing. I need more out of you. And normally an actor is supposed to say to their director, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, and uh, I'll, I'll do what you're telling me. Yeah, not Gary Cooper. Gary Cooper said, uh, just wait until you see the dailies. I'm like, all right, because it was right there, right on his face. Yeah, yeah. And um, sure enough, they saw the dailies, and he knew, he was such an experienced actor, he knew exactly that when that 75 or 85 millimeter lens was on that face, yeah, yeah. he knew what it was going to catch and what it was not going to catch, and he knew just how much acting to put out. Yeah. And sure enough, when Zinman saw those dailies, and he saw, that, he saw that face up there on the screen just giving him everything, and it was just so subdued and so restrained, and yet so powerful, he's like, he was right. Yeah, yeah. Son of a gun, he was right. Sometimes it's not, you know, Eli Wallach used to always go the other way. Yeah. To pick a guy. Yeah. Eli, he, yeah. you know, he would, he, would, yeah. he would play every guy right, every yeah. guy. But you're absolutely right. Sometimes yeah. you don't do anything, particularly when you're playing the hero. It's it's good stuff. So uh, High Noon, kind of the, 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 the archetypal lone man uh, standing up for the law against uh, all odds western. Um, anyway, it, it really terrific. This is also taken from a 4K restoration. It is gorgeous. It is just some of the most spectacular black and white photography of any Western on Blu-ray. It is beautiful beyond compare. Um, 1952, super tight 85-minute uh, film. Uh, here's what you get as far as the extras. You get a thing called a ticking clock, uh, which is Mark Goldblatt, who is an Oscar-winning editor, talking about the genius of this film's editing and it is if you are interested in film editing you you must watch this because i am of the opinion i think you probably are too tim Mm. that we've lost a sense of the economy of editing movies are so heavily cut today that we've lost what movies like high noon would do where you hold on a shot and when a cut comes it's powerful it Mm. has you know like wow it really draws your attention it points your attention it delivers something um, there are more cuts in like the first ten minutes of Transformers in this whole than in this whole movie. You, you, in, in, in one of the statistics that I often use when I'm teaching uh, uh, classes about that, that shows you the sort of uh, somewhat arbitrary nature of it, right? So if you go back to about 1950, yep. the average duration of time that one would look at a scene on the screen before there would be a cut—not a change of scene, but a change of cut, just a yep. cut within the scene—was about five and a half seconds. One. Two, three, four, five. Mm-hmm. That's how long before a cut would happen. Yeah. Today? Yeah. Today? Yeah. About less, less than three seconds. Yeah, it's true. One, two, and cut. Yeah, you're One, right. One, two, and, and cut. cut. <laughs> and well, if, and, it, and you go back, you go back to some of those musicals and even some of the screwball comedies of the 30s. There, there are shots that go on for 30, 40, 40 45, 40 seconds. 50 seconds yeah, and nobody yeah, just, cuts because people just, are just moving yeah, around. Just as a matter of course. And it's yeah. a frame. It's like a proscenium and, yeah. and, and the actors are doing it. Yeah. But yeah. even when they did cut, it was judicious and it yeah. was particular and it was specific. It was now, you cannot tell me that that we've that, that, that has reduced down to about, you know, like I said, less than three seconds yeah. arbitrarily. It no. can't be. No. That can't be. No. So And television has a lot to do with that. So anyway, you also have uh, a little bit here on Stanley Kramer, uh, a little bit on The Blacklist, because screenwriter Webb, uh, Walter Bernstein was a blacklisted writer. 
And uh, then you have a little bit on the, uh, like there's a little visual essay thing here on the, uh, on the, the production of the film. You, you know, just sort of, it's like galleries, except it's like, you know, galleries all put together in a featurette form. And then a wonderful essay by uh, Nick James of Sight and Sound. So uh, that also comes in the uh, clear plastic Blu-ray keep case with the uh, beautiful sleeve. So that's High Noon and Johnny Guitar. Absolutely beautiful. Must have in both cases. Um, Tim, are, are we, should we go into some music? As, is, uh, well, you know, I suppose that we will. I was looking at this one in particular, hosted by Tyler Perry, The Passion. Live. Oh, yeah. Uh, they've taken to doing these live things again. Yeah. When you and I were growing up, this was not particularly unusual. There was actually quite a lot of live television. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but they've taken it to doing it again at, over the last a few years. I think I've seen Peter Pan. Yeah, uh, they did a, a live Peter Pan. Yep. Uh, it seems like they did a live. I can't remember what this, but this was one of them. The Passion yeah. live. Um, an interesting, an, an interesting piece. I remember, I remember watching this, uh, and mostly being impressed by these performers because you had to be able to sing, you had to be yeah. able to act, you had True. to be able to hit your mark. Yep. Uh, you know, when you're doing something like this. So anyway. Uh, uh, Giancarlo Canella, Trisha Yearwood as Mary Cristaldi. This is the you know the passion, the yep. passion of the Christ folks. Yep. That's what that's what we mean by the passion. It's nothing particularly um, unique on this. It is anamorphic widescreen uh, and and five point one uh, stereo surround. The music uh, the music of this was really lovely. You know, if you're into this kind of stuff, it can be pretty neat. Uh, I was looking to see who the director was on this project. But since it's a television project in live, they don't seem to have no. delineated the directors. No. You don't happen to see that on there, yeah. uh, a Mad Tiger, uh, a film by Jonathan Yee and Michael Hurleton. This is a neat thing. Uh, basically, this is a, the story about this. Uh, these guys have had this uh, punk band for years and years and years. They've been touring around, this, uh, touring around the country. Uh, uh, it's really more of a performance art kind of thing than it is actually a, a punk band, and then one of them suddenly decides uh, that they want to quit. They don't want to do it anymore. They don't want to be in a band anymore. They don't want to do the performance art anymore. They want a life. And how it kind of forces all of them to grow up a little bit is sort of interesting. Their bonus commentary track with Jonathan Yee uh, and Michael uh, uh, uh And uh, let's see, anything else here? Oh, a couple of music videos and a couple of performance pieces Crazy. Uh, from, the, from the movie itself there. And uh, I'm going to dig into uh, some really interesting stuff here. Eat That Question, Frank Zappa in his own words. This was at uh, Sundance in 2016. And uh, this is basically just a, 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 about as comprehensive and incisive a look at Frank Zappa as you're likely to ever get. Zappa is not an easy person to uh, get under his skin and inside his head, uh, as outspoken as he was. Just a really, uh, you know, enigmatic figure for somebody who was so incredibly public. But uh, you've got all kinds of footage, you know, uh, it, it, interviews, performances. Everything is all kind of gathered together to try to give you as close to a comprehensive portrait as you're probably ever going to get. I don't know if there'll ever be a comprehensive, uh, definitive film on Zappa, but this is probably the best that exists right now. And uh, it's 90 minutes. Good, solid documentary filmmaking. Uh, it's called Eat That Question, Frank Zappa in his own words. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'd say go in not expecting to see the man completely dissected and illuminated, but go in really just sort of expecting to enjoy being immersed yeah. in the uh, the sights and sounds of Frank Zappa's genius for about 90 minutes. And if you wind up asking more questions about the man when it's over than, uh, than you had when you were going in, then I think it's probably still successful. Yeah, Zappa's an interesting cultural figure who's had more purchase over the... 
the course of years than I thought he would have. I, would have I thought, agree. I thought he might, that might have all sort of faded away yeah. after a while. I have to think one here. Talent has a hunger. Uh, it's kind of like a hoop dreams um, um, sort of multi-year following of these very, very talented people yeah. uh, as they engage this uh, you know, sort of artistic career. Now, instead of basketball, this is playing the cello. So mm. you, you have this one cello teacher, a very well-known fellow named Paul Katz, right? Yeah. Famous cello teacher. We meet him when he first meets these children uh, when they're uh, six, seven years old. Uh, when they first pick up the bow. And he, we follow him for seven years as he sort of sorts through these young people. Yeah. And the ones who have real talent sort of come to the fore. And then as he uh, helps them craft their talent, uh, nurture their love for the cello, for music in general, but for the cello specifically over the next several years, the ups and the downs. Yeah. Now, these are obviously people that have the potential to be you know, world-class level, uh, you know, Yasha Heifetz-level yeah. performance. Yeah. So it's a really, really interesting and engaging sort of thing. Uh, there's a director's, uh, there's an interview with the director uh, on here as well as an interview with Mr. Katz. Very nice. Scarred but smarter. Life and times of driving and crying. If that doesn't mean anything to you, it's no surprise, because it didn't mean anything to me either. Uh, the guy who directed this, Eric Von Hessler... Um, did this as kind of a, a, a passion project, a labor of love, because uh, he, he was is just infatuated and in love with the band Driving and Crying, and uh, mainly because they just never became famous. Nobody ever had heard of them outside of his little circle, I guess. And so he basically undertakes a, uh, a documentary to look into them, what happened to them, kind of a, as a tribute to them and winds up getting a really, really interesting story that in many respects I think transcends the band and the music. Um, it's, a, it's, you know, it's kind of like a 30 years in the making, uh, making of story, but it really is just, uh, it is really, really intriguing and especially because it's such a personal film. So that's called Scarred But Smarter, Life and Times of Driving and Crying. And a lot of really interesting people interviewed in here, including Ty Pennington, believe it or not. That's really? Like, Ty yeah. Pennington? What the hell is this? Enter the Fawn. This is an interesting uh, documentary. Oh, that's just, <laughs> that's just a beautiful movie. This is So, uh, Young Man with Cerebral Palsy. Yeah. Uh, uh, a famous uh, choreographer. Yeah. Uh, they engage uh, each other, and yeah. she uh, deigns to teach him how to dance. Uh, and, he, and he basically overcomes the cerebral palsy. I yeah. mean, as much as you you were able to, it's, it's extraordinary. Despite the fact that she is not a medically trained, uh, yeah. you know, um, uh, what physical therapist I guess it would be, or something like that. Uh, what it, what I love about this is that it, it gets not just into the beauty of dance and and choreography and what it does for your soul and what it is as an artistic expression, but it suggests that there are so many things that may have medicinal application in our culture mm-hmm. that have nothing to do with medicine mm-hmm. that we we don't think outside the box often enough there was a there was a doc and i forget the name of it but there was a doc that i reviewed for film week uh two three years ago about a guy who treats dementia and alzheimer's patients with music music of the heart music of the heart that yeah. was it yeah which is amazing he just he, he puts together these custom mixes of music from the era in which they grew up yeah. based on what re- friends and relatives tell him and that triggers things in their minds but the most dreadful thing about that was when he said 
you know what, I can get Medicare and insurance companies to pay for more drugs than you can possibly comprehend, but they won't pay for an iPod. They will not pay for music for our because they don't. Yeah, they won't. There's no connection being Like it's it's cheaper for me to get. Uh, you know, a little like eighty-five dollar iPod and loaded up with uh, with a, with a, a sound mix than it is to buy just one month of, of drugs. Yeah, whatever drugs, which would turn these people into zombies as, yeah. as opposed to giving them sort of like fuller lives. Yeah. So the same kind of thing here: DVD uh, extras, uh, Kennedy Center interview uh, with both the performers Tamara and Greg, uh, and a in-depth look at this approach of I suppose you would call it music therapy or dance Fabulous. therapy, dance therapy, more like dance therapy. Uh, the Beach Boys, Pet Sounds on Blu-ray. Uh, this is from the Classic Albums line uh, that is being released by uh, Eagle Vision. And uh, it's terrific. I mean, it, it's just, I mean, I, 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 you don't need me to recommend the Beach Boys. Uh, or even Pet Sounds, which is one of their just fantastic albums uh, that was made in 1965. And uh, it's just absolutely legendary, great music from the era, one of the great bands of all time. Uh, there's a whole bunch of interviews on here, about uh, half an hour worth of additional interviews, and uh, it's it's great. It's on Blu-ray. It's classic. It's legendary. It's wonderful. It is uh, classic albums on Blu-ray. The Beach Boys, Pet Sounds from Eagle Vision, and it's just great. Lots of great stuff. Have they already put out? Uh, have you guys already talked about Love and Mercy? The, the movie, the, the oh, yeah, Paul movie. Oh, yeah, because yeah. that record is the record. That's, that's the, the one. central that's record. That's right. That's, that's right. Inside that movie, yeah. yeah, that's the one where they where they where they kind of break the system. They yeah. want to go outside the box and really go crazy. Right yeah. with those horses and the. <laughs> <laughs> it's just just crazy stuff. And then uh, let's see, we got uh, Justin Hayward live in concert at the Capitol Theater with uh, a bonus music video on here, uh, "The Wind of Heaven." Uh, you know, Justin Hayward has uh, is primarily known as the the guy behind uh, Moody Blues, and I am of course a huge Moody Blues fan, so I am a big Justin Hayward fan. Um, and this is wonderful. This is not the Moody Blues, but he still does a lot of Moody Blues stuff on here. Uh, Your wildest dreams, and uh, you know, it's 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 just a lot of fun. It's really really a lot of fun. And the most bonus music video is for the Wind of Heaven, which is also really wonderful. So I, uh, if you are a Justin Hayward fan or Moody Blues fan, you got to check this out. It is uh, it's a lot of fun. It's good. I got Toto. Toto, yes. over here, Light of Montreux, 1991. This is, a, this is particularly interesting because this is the one little moment when the band uh, was configured slightly differently than the band had been before or would oh, be yeah. after. Yeah. Uh, uh, so you have uh, 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 Steve Luther, uh, Dave, uh, is it Patrick? I think it is. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jeff per, uh, uh, Picario uh, playing bass. And I mean, uh, uh, Jeff Picario playing bass and his brother Mike. Uh, 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 playing drums and his brother Mike playing drums so the band is just shaped that way for a short period of time uh, and then they put out uh, another album uh, the next year I think the King of the Zyre album is the one that they put out in 1992 so anyway this is a live show in 1991 featuring this particular incarnation of the band which is a unique incarnation of the band uh, along with a lot of pretty great songs on there anyway uh, um, Toto we're going to tell you You know, I always still just like love Toto I love Toto can't go uh, Ros- Rosanna, Africa, all yeah. that stuff. I mean, Rosanna Arquette, immortalized in a song. Yeah. It's great. And they did the score to uh, David Lynch's Dune, so you got to love it. And then the last two on the music front, Pete Townsend's Deep End, Face the Face. Uh, this is a Rock Palast performance, and this is a DVD and CD combo set from Eagle Vision. 
Uh, the, all the Rock Palast live stuff is just always terrific. Gotta love it. And uh, he does, you know, he does some Who stuff and he does some of his own stuff. Uh, Pinball Wizard, uh, you know, Won't Get Fooled Again, uh, Slit Skirts, I Put a, a Spell on You, Sea Refuses No River. It's all it's all here. It's just great. Uh, one of the great all time performers and uh, and songwriters. He's just really really great. And the nice thing here is that uh, you get he puts together an inter- really an interesting band too. Uh, Dave Gilmore shows up here as well. So it's a little bit of the Who meets uh, Pink Floyd for a moment. This was recorded uh, 1986 on my birthday. Oh, really? At Cannes. Oh. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's kind of weird. This is because what's weird is that I remember my birthday in uh, 1986 very well. I was living in France, uh-huh. and I, w- I was in Valence, and I'm, th- I'm thinking, wow. So when I was celebrating my va- birthday in Valence, this was being recorded down south. Yeah. Pretty yeah. cool. That's, so I'm that's a little bit connected to that. And then uh, Scorpions, live in Munich, 2012, on Blu-ray. The Scorpions. <laughs> uh, I like about three Scorpion songs. The ones that everybody else likes, you know, rock, about the hair. Rock you. me like the hurricane. Rock you like a hurricane, and you know, uh, there's only three that I really like that I think that anybody likes. But anyway, um, they're still fun because they just don't take themselves seriously, and uh, especially when they're per- performing for a German audience. There's nothing like German headbangers. They're just yeah. they're so funny. Uh, this is really a lot of fun. It's just you know the the fire and the whole the whole eighties hairband sense of excess that kind of followed Kiss. It's sort yeah. of it's sort of at that moment when Kiss morphed into Motley Crue and all the rest of that stuff. It's a lot of fun. So Scorpions live in Munich, two thousand twelve. All right, uh, we're going to move into some television now. Let's do a little I, bit of TV. I got Johnny Carson over here. Uh, the Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson, The Vault Series, six DVD set. <laughs> Excuse me, a part of the archive classics, right? Um, uh, the, this particular box here features performances, or appearances, we should say, from Richard Pryor, Rodney Dangerfield, Buddy Hackett, James Gardner, and Jack Palance, oh among goodness. others, right? Uh, you know, um, uh, as you know, Wade, uh, there's a series, uh, there's a network called the the CBS Decades Network, which is one of the sort of like sub-channels. Of yeah. The, of, 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 of the, all the networks have them, right? Sure. So, uh, you know, you watch these channels and every television show that you and I grew up watching. Yeah. Out. Now, they're very particular in the way that they select and choose what they're going to put on these shows. You know, I, I've been into the Dick Cavett show a lot lately. I love Dick Cavett. It was just fantastic. There's so many incarnations of, of, of that, right? Yeah. The Johnny Carson show, though, that's one where it almost makes no error what yeah. they go to, what show they pick. Yeah. It's nothing but money yeah. on the Johnny Carson it show is. down the line. Doesn't mean you just stick your hand in the vault, pull one out, look at the list, and it's just going to be money. Because Johnny, Johnny is such a rare figure, you know. And this is the six DVD set that they yeah. sent us here. There's also there's like a two DVD and a four and a twelve. You know, they're all. I mean, they're 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 all different configurations of this depending on what your budget is. But Time Life is just uh, it really. I, I I don't even know how you curate this. You you really do. You just sort of throw a dart and whatever it yeah. hits, you just throw it on there. It's great stuff. Um, what I what I is so fascinating about Johnny is that he. And I don't want to take anything away from Jay Leno, who I think is terrific, or from you know any of the others who sort of succeeded. I mean, not Conan or Arsenio or Jimmy Fallon or uh, Jimmy Kimmel. I mean, all the rest of them. Everybody who's ever stepped into those late night shoes. Yeah. Uh, Letterman, obviously. The they all kind they all had their own 
thing that they did, but they were all also doing something that Johnny pioneered, which is that y- y- you're, you're letting the person plug their show, but at the same time, Johnny understood that it's performance art. Mm-hmm. It's not about the plug. It's, it's about using the plug as an excuse to entertain people who aren't yet ready to go to bed. Mm-hmm. And that's a very different thing from those afternoon talk shows like Merv, uh, Mike, uh, Douglas. Mike Douglas, yeah, uh, John, Cabot, da- for that matter, da- yeah, John yeah, Davidson, yeah. Dinah, right? Remember yeah. there was that era where you had afternoon talk shows, which we kind of get a little bit now with Ellen. Ellen's a little bit in the, in the, mm. in the and so was Rosie. Mm-hmm. Um, They're a little that, bit more concerned with pop culture. They're a little bit yeah. more concerned with whatever it is that person is there to, Different. to, 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 to sell, what movie they're in, yeah. what book they're doing. Sometimes they're political issues. I mean, you know, yeah. you could see Dick Cavett show your Marlon Brando yeah. talking about the Native Americans. Yeah, sure. <laughs> 75 is Johnny didn't do that. Johnny didn't do that. Johnny no. was not all about that. Johnny was about, it, 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 you could literally have watched an episode of The Tonight Show where Johnny Carson was talking to whoever it is, Beth Midler, about some movie. And a week later, you would not remember the movie she yeah. was plugging, but you would remember some shtick from that. I remember specifically Robin Williams, God rest his soul, was, was on The Tonight Show. I don't remember what he was plugging. Mm. No, I don't have the slightest idea what he was plugging, but I still remember. This was back before they did the labs, the wireless lab uh-huh. of their microphones, right, where they had a boom. There was still a boom. That, like the, there was a boom guy who was, you know, holding a boom microphone, like on a on a yeah, long, with the crane, with, with the, the arm, crane and yeah. the arm, and he was holding it over, and you and you turn it from Johnny and back to to Robin Williams, and you would never know that because it was always off camera. But Robin Williams, of course, had to make a do of it, and he he and he would look. He looked up at it and he said, "I feel like Flipper," arr, 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 and he started you know barking at it like it was somebody holding a fish over him. And the camera pulls back, and you see the boom, and you see Robin Williams. And Johnny loved it. He loved it because that's what he wanted on the show. Yeah, he yeah. wanted you to do something completely unhinged that would en- engage the audience, engage viewers, and make people at home feel like this was worth staying up for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was amazing. It was good. Hey, if Johnny called you over, that was the old thing. That's that was it for the, for the stand. Oh, so many comics owe their careers to him. Yeah, and if, if you got that so nod many. from Johnny to come sit down, Jerry yeah. Seinfeld, Jay Leno for that matter. I mean, we can yeah. go through the list. Of yeah. No, Six DVD, DVD uh, sets. It's, it's great. Yeah. 12 shows as they originally aired, including commercials. It's really, really great stuff. So uh, all from the 1970s. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Vincent Price on here, you know, doing a cooking thing. It's, it, uh, you know, Johnny getting a massage from Miss Sweden. It's really, really great stuff. Uh, Banshee is a series that I didn't watch, actually, uh, when it's on. This is the final season, four yeah. seasons of Banshee ran. Yeah. I understand it's about an ex-con. Uh, uh, a guy goes back to his yeah. town, pretends to be the sheriff. He's, gonna try, he's trying to find a serial killer is what he's basically trying to do. Lasted four seasons. Don't know a whole lot about it. Uh, this final season a DVD set includes a cast retrospective um, uh, that includes all the stars of the show. Um, and uh, let's see. What else do we have here? Oh, audio commentaries and deleted scenes. Beautiful. So I don't know. I, did you know anything about this series? Was, I, I, was it know, one that you followed? We've covered it a little bit in the, fa- in the past. I mean, it's, uh, it's one of those... HBO shows that I, I get the sense didn't really um, people like it. It did well for HBO as all their shows seem to, but it yeah. never really kind of caught caught, caught flight, fire. Yeah. Never caught fire the way they wanted it to. Uh, Constantine, which is the show that I did in fact watch from DC. This is a Blu-ray, loosely based on the Constantine that we think of from the from Keanu the, Reeves, uh, from Keanu Reeves yeah. and, and, and the uh, graphic novel yep. series. Yeah, Fallen Angel, the whole yep. thing. Going out to find it, uh, yeah. I don't know. Watched it for you know a season or a season or so uh, while it was on. 
Uh, I thought it was okay. You know, did okay. The, you know, there were two or three incarnations of these sort of shows. That, 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 there's one called Luther now that's running that sort of lives right. in, the sa- in the same space uh, as all of this. Anyway, uh, this has a Q&A with the cast uh, and creators of the show uh, and a DC Comics night at Comic-Con 2014. So if you nice. were at Comic-Con in 2014, you yeah. might show up on this DVD Blu-ray. If somebody asked you to sign a release nice. when you were there, it might be for this Pretty cool. uh, on Blu-ray. Pretty cool. Uh, 50th. I'm gonna let you talk about this one mostly. Oh, yeah. Wade, 50th anniversary. The uh, this is the 50th anniversary deluxe edition. Charlie Brown's All Stars. Uh, the the you know the peanuts. I have to be honest. I, I I kind of wish that Warner Brothers would get their act together with the peanuts um, specials and uh, movies released on DVD and Blu-ray, because it's been it's really been a hodge, hodge, hodgepodge and it's been very very haphazard and they've come out with. With certain television specials, and then they would come out with compilations from the seventies and eighties, and then they would come out with the movies on Blu-ray, and then they come out with the the classic holiday specials on Blu-ray. And everyone I know who started buying that stuff kind of gave up at a certain point because Mm. all these things overlapped. They would be like, "Well, I got the seventies, which had the thing that I already had, but then I got the holiday thing, which had some of the stuff that was in the seventies, but not all of it, and then some other stuff that I didn't have." And you're not you're you're not really double dipping. You're sort of half dipping over mm. and over and over again. And there's a lot of repetition. And nobody seems to be really focused on making sure that that you know. Let's do here. Let's do this. Let's take. Let's make a list of everything peanuts. Everything, beginning to end. Mm-hmm. And let's do this. Let's release it all on Blu-ray. Comprehensive, complete peanuts. Yeah. Just do that. Do that. Yeah. Be done with it. I yeah. don't know why they don't do that. Uh, so anyway, the. Um, so uh, Charlie Brown's All Stars, not you know, not the best thing that they've ever done. This also features a bonus special, uh, Charlie Brown Celebration. Uh, also not spectacular. This is fine. I don't know that this uh, necessarily warrants being given its its own standalone release. That's why I think something like this really uh, would be better in a box set with everything else, and especially in Blu-ray, not just DVDs. So. I, I look at this, I think, well, unless you are crazy about Charlie Brown's All-Stars and uh, Charlie Brown's Celebration, unless you really feel like these are, these are the ones that just sing to you, I would, I would hold off. I really wouldn't. Well, uh, I've got the final season of Penny Dreadful here. I've got to tell you, I loved Penny Dreadful except for... Uh, this final season, which, really, which was yeah, it was a really really solid. Have series. not gotten to the final season, uh, you, you know. And the show is such a, a very beautifully done show. Very it's, it is. Not, a, not, not a whole lot going on. Timothy Dalton, of course, yeah. Sir Malcolm Mary, yeah, 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 um, uh, Miss Peregrine, what's her name? Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah playing uh, you know, yeah. Vince Ives in the show, and of course you've got Eva Dr. Green, Eva Green, yeah, Dr. and Josh Hartnett, probably doing some of the best work of his career as an actor. They tried to make Josh Hartnett a movie star for a long time. Yeah, uh, they paired him with people, they put him in these, they tried to make him a movie star, didn't quite take as a movie star. Does excellent work as a sort of Wolfman sort of figure. Uh, here, set a, you know, sort of a period piece. Final season of Penny Dreadful, which I was looking forward to greatly. Uh, at, at, toward the end of the, you know the last season, really disappointing final season. The series comes to the United States to sort of Southwest West Studi <laughs> enters the series as a as a sort of Native American uh, character, uh, and they follow him here, and it just all sort of unravels. That's always so disappointing. 
or when a series just unravels. And it's the mark of a series that didn't have its own end in mind, of a series where the creators didn't have an end for that series in mind. This series probably wanted to go another two or three seasons, but when it sort of lost steam, uh, it just sort of, they just sort of allowed it to peter out, which is just disappointing. You don't ever want to end that way. In any case, Penny Dreadful, final season. Uh, you got a few things here, including character profiles uh, for all of the sort of main characters of the show uh, and uh, some costume stuff. I don't know. Uh, a disappointing end to a popular show that I kind of liked for a while. Too bad. Uh, here's a, here's something that I just think is weird and shameless, and I totally do not understand what the point of this is. So I understand that they've they've had a hard time selling I Love Lucy on Blu-ray. I get it. There's a few seasons on Blu-ray, and they haven't released the whole thing. Maybe if you release a complete I Love Lucy on Blu-ray box set, everything will will sort out. They the Paramount needs to do that. Uh, just just buck up and do it and put it out there, and it'll sell. Um, but instead, they're doing stuff like this. On DVD, the I Love Lucy Superstar Special number one. And Superstar Special is all in Superman lettering. And uh, that's... The, well, here's what this is. And there's a little banner across the top that says, Colorized for kids of all ages. Now, to me, that's insulting. That yeah. basically says children don't like black and white, so we've gone ahead and we've colorized <laughs> yeah. some I Love Lucy so that children will not be bored by that awful, ugly black and white. I'm sorry, I was a child, and I grew up with a, bla- a 19-inch black and white television, and that's how I watched everything, everything. including I Love Lucy. Yeah. And I fell in love with it. With, with, there's no reason why children should not be able to enjoy Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton today. Exactly, because you just dis- dismissed a whole grand of, of all kinds of entertainment, cinema, television, everything, from an entire year, if, 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 all, if it all has to be color. Hey, I remember when, uh, who was it? It was Old Man Turner, Ted Turner. Yeah. Uh, He's the one acquired that MGM that library and again, that technology and started doing all that kind of stuff. Awful. Yeah, Caught yeah. hell for it, too. Yeah. Well, and like, I mean, colorizing, it's a wonderful life. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Anyway, here's what they've done. This makes no sense. So they take two random episodes of I Love Lucy, L.A. at Last from 1955 and Lucy and Superman from 1957, and they put both black and white and colorized versions of both of them on here. I presume the Superman episode is colorized because somebody thought, oh, we can make the Superman outfit that Lucy wears uh, out when she's with the pigeons on the, on, the, on the ledge. We'll make it look like an actual super, like we'll put the blue and the yeah, S and the red S and the, blue, yeah. yeah, whatever. Uh, it, it, it's, it's terrible. The colorization still is ugly. It hasn't gotten any better in the last 20 years. It's just, it's an ugly process. And um, I, I don't see the point of this. It's too, it is literally two random episodes that are not necessarily even the funniest I Love Lucy episodes. They have nothing to do with each other, and they're thrown together in a colorized version and a black and white version, presumably for kids. This is an orphan DVD. I can't recommend this to anybody. It's a terrible idea. Mm. Put the whole series out on Blu-ray, please. Would you? Please. Okay, uh, Tim, let's hit a, hit a few uh, new movies. We got a, There's a whole lot of new stuff this week. And we're a little early, so we're not. There's a lot of stuff that uh, we do not yet have that we're going to have to cover on a belated week. But here's an interesting one. Uh, this is from Wellgo, and this is on DVD. And I I really enjoyed this, even though it is something I've seen many, many, many times. It doesn't really do anything uh, particularly uh, original. It's one of those inspirational coach slash teacher movies, and uh, set in the world of basketball, like we haven't seen a million of those yeah. before. But um, this is the story, the true story of Don Meyer, 
the basketball coach Don Meyer, um, who uh, who surpassed Bobby Knight to become the winningest NCAA basketball coach after being committed to a wheelchair after an accident. Oh, coach in a basket, uh, amazing coach from a wheelchair. Um, it's called the movie's called My Many Sons, and uh, and, it's, and it's a it's a true story. Hoosiers, he was, it, he was the Hoosier coach, not the Hoosier coach. No, he he surpassed Bobby Knight as At the, 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 the winning, but he wasn't okay. I got he was you. not the Hoosier coach. Okay. So, uh, it, really, an amazing collegiate coach, uh, played beautifully by Judge Reinhold, who we have not seen in a million years. That's yeah. Judge Reinhold, of course, from. Uh, many great films, but mostly from Beverly Hills, Hills Cop. Top, yeah. And he's uh, completely bald now. He's completely grown into this part, and uh, he's still a great actor. And it's, uh, it's a very, very touching story. I'm surprised this did not get more exposure as a theatrical release, but it is still really, really good. i got to um, tell you, the cast, the, you know, Judge Reinhold is the star of that film, literally. Yeah, he is. There's <laughs> nobody else There's here. There's nobody else in that film. Regular, you know, I mean, lots of actors who... Whom we have never heard of. Yeah, very, very uh, true. That's what I mean very by true. nobody else in the film. Um, Aaron Paul, Lena Headley, and Sean ben, Bean, all big stars. Yep. Right? Yep. And a film called Kingsclave, right? Yeah. Uh, Final Fantasy, uh, what is that, 15? I I have tried. I, I, I just, I can't watch this stuff. I, I I don't even know this uh, adaptation of a... Of, of, Final of, Fantasy. Of a, 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 a Japanese. Yeah, Final Fantasy is like, it's it, 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 it made its way momentarily into the movies, and it's it's primarily... I remember the animated, there was, it was like a 3D yeah, animated thing, right? it was. One of the earliest uh, photorealistic CGI animated things. Uh, but it was incomprehensible, and they're... Somehow we've we've gotten down to fifteen of these things. I'm kind of. Uh, I, I can only imagine that they are extremely popular with the sort of original the, the gamer, the gamer, the gamer crowd. Kind of yeah. in, in any case, uh, uh, um, um, HD ultraviolet special features out the yin yang. Uh, on this thing, way too more for me than there's nothing now. that either of us are going to say about this that is going to dissuade fans from buying it, from and, buying probably, it and, and probably nothing we have to say that'll make anybody buy it who isn't a fan. Uh, Final Fantasy King's Conclave uh, Final Fantasy 15. There you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What happened? What happened between one and 15? I have no idea. <laughs> Uh, the Purge election year. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's the Purge. <laughs> what, yeah, yeah. What do you want? Isn't it funny how quickly those were, wore out? That, the very first one, an interesting sort of notion. It was. You know, I think we're three, looking at three of those. At this this the third one, That's I believe. One, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's a really interesting how quickly uh, the, the notion inside the, the, the just went away. And yeah. I, just, I just didn't care about them at all. No. After the first one, I'm like, you had a good idea. You made a mediocre movie from it. Ethan Hawke kind of holds that movie up. The first one, yeah. The, the, this After is, that, you've blown it. Frank Grillo here is, you know, it's two years later, and uh, they still have this twelve-hour, you know, uh, mayhem period that uh, d- defines the premise of the film. Except this time, it comes right before a presidential election, which is obviously meant to exploit the fact that we're in a presidential year. Kind of shameless. Doesn't really make a difference. It's not very good. Um, it just retreads everything you've seen previously, and uh, I I don't really know uh, what there is to recommend this, but uh, you know it's out there. Blu-ray, DVD, and ultraviolet all on the same set. Uh, Swiss Army Man. I got to tell you, this was one of those movies. Paul Dano. Uh, and Daniel Radcliffe, you know, yeah. Harry Potter. This is one of those movies when it came out. It was one of those little indie darling movies. Yeah. Everybody was loving this movie. Sundance. You got a lot, Sundance, lot of attention all that Sundance, kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at this movie, and you've said this many times about many yeah. movies. It was like, man, that movie looks like it's been workshop 
to death <laughs> at Sunday work. You could see it, right? Yeah, and sure enough, yeah. you go look it up, and uh, sure enough, it's been workshopped to death. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it's an extremely high-concept movie, Paul Dano uh, and Daniel Radcliffe. Effectively, Daniel Radcliffe is a corpse. It's playing a corpse yeah. that Paul Dano finds on an island, and then we sort of slip off into a never, never world, never, never land that may or may not mostly be inside Paul Dano's head. Uh, all of the stuff that sort of happens in the movie next, and you know, it, it, it strikes itself as, as extremely insightful about you know the ways of the world and the way man and people are all sort of caught up in our own little lives and things that don't matter and all that kind of stuff. You know what? This is what bugs me about these movies. Young people, young people, I'm speaking specifically to you now when you get ready to make a movie. <laughs> Whatever that thought is that's in your head that occurs to you as something that you've noticed about the world and humanity and the way it works and, and uh, that, we, that we've all missed and we just don't quite get. Whatever that is, you're wrong. Uh, we do get it. We understand it. We don't give a damn about it. You are not special, and neither is your mm-hmm. idea, and neither is this movie. Uh, nevertheless, it is on uh, DVD now, along with a few f- special features, some deleted scenes, Q&A with the filmmakers, a behind-the-scenes thing, and uh, another little feature- featurette, and an audio commentary track, Swiss Army Man, on Blu-ray. So here we got another, uh, another Blu-ray and digital HD ultraviolet combo set uh, for a movie called Joshi. Uh, this is another Sundance film. This was Sundance this year. Oh, I, man, I, I saw that one for the show, too. You know, here's the thing. Now, I like Thomas Middleditch as an actor. He's the star of this thing. He's a mid-level actor. You've seen him in a lot of stuff. He always plays kind of the wee, the, 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 the timid, milk-toasty guy, right? He's the yeah. nerd. He's like one of those archetypal nerd actors. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you need somebody... There are two to... or three of those guys now, and to be honest with you, sometimes I get them confused. They are the sons of Don Knotts. Yeah. They are, the, they, they are all kind trying... skinny, with the big head. They're all trying glitchy. to be Don Knotts. I was just, I was just watching the scene in... Um, in uh, it's a mad, 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 mad world the other night where uh, where Phil Silvers is in the car with Don Knotts, yeah. and he basically steals the car from him because he tells him, "Oh, you got there after us." Yeah, you gotta, you gotta. And Don Knotts is doing that thing where he starts getting bug eyed and jumping like a jumping bean. He doesn't know which direction to go. He's looking <laughs> over every shoulder. He's going nuts. Nobody does that better than Don Knotts. Yeah. All yeah. these people did yeah. it all through it. Andy Griffith show is fantastic. Anyway, so the the deal here, this guy played by Tom Joshy, played by Thomas Middleditch, he was going to uh, he's supposed to get married. Wedding's yeah. called off, so he and his buddies go on the bachelor party weekend anyway. anyway and it's just it turns into you know it's just it's just all and this is and this is sort of a this is through line this is sort of a dark thing that's going on it's yeah. not really so much so much a secret in the context of the film you figure it out in the first 5 minutes of the film uh, and that notion, that darker little notion that's going on, is interesting. But at the end of the day, it's still just bachelor party with Tom Hanks. And yeah, remember bachelor party? A little bit more angst. Adrian's a little bit more angst. A little bit more angst. It kind of uh, it, it's it's like uh, what are the, the Vegas things. Oh the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, whatever happens yeah. in Vegas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, the um, so Jenny Slate is in this. I like Jenny Slate. She's fun. Uh, a few other actors: Nick Kroll, Brett Gelman, uh, Alex Ross Perry. They're all sort of you know decent actors. But uh, on on balance, I don't really see a point for this film to be honest. Those those kind of audio movies? commentary with uh, with Middle Ditch along with uh, the uh, with writer director Jeff Bianna and their producer. It's fine. I'm I'm starting to wonder, and maybe it, maybe it has something simply to do with our with our place on the sort of human timeline of things. Right? Yeah. Here we are. Film critic, critics, uh, you know, our age. We've been doing this for a while. <laughs> We've seen all these movies. I'm starting to think there's simply, it's just not possible 
for them to make, you know, young filmmakers to make some new clever film that they think is clever. Yeah. I, 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 I don't think it's possible for them to do that for you and me. Maybe be. for those kids their age, they can do that for each other. Yeah. But if they do that, I just get pissy. Uh, because well, what, do you, what, do you, what do you think, kid? You, you know, nobody's ever thought of that before. You grow up. Yeah. Anyway, now I'm being an old bastard. City of Gold, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is a neat film about Jonathan Gold or about Jonathan Gold's job. Jonathan Gold is a LA Times food critic. He's a food critic, a Pulitzer Prize winning food critic. And this film follows him as he does his job, which is Lovely. eating, wandering around with a spoon and a fork and a knife, eating. And then writing about eating. I like that. Why did we pick film criticism and not food criticism? <laughs> I don't what know. The, we, just, we just jacked it completely. I know. Oh, whatever. I'd be a bigger, fatter bastard than I am now. Wild Oats, Shirley MacLaine, Jessica Lange. Uh, you know, that's a, a strange pairing because they could be mother and daughter, but I guess they figure they can get away with being really good friends. This is one of those movies that's made for people of a certain age, a little bit like uh, Marigold Hotel. And, mm. you know, there's a lot of these now that are sort of aimed at filmgoers who are of their, in their 60s and 70s and looking, who don't really want to sit around and do social media at home. Um, the idea here is that you have a couple of, um, I, won't, I won't get into the details of how this happens, but there is a financial, oh, let's say there's an insurance mistake in somebody's favor. Uh, Shirley MacLaine has lost her husband. There's a life insurance mistake in, in her favor. And then she and Jessica Lange decided to sort of take the extra cash and, and go party and go have a good time. And, uh, of course, they meet, you know, some gentlemen when they're <laughs> off on their party, one of whom is Billy Connolly. I won't tell you anything else about it. I love Billy Connolly Billy to death. Connolly. But he's not Brown. It's not really well served here. Uh, and then, of course, there is unfortunately a little caper aspect to this, which is, you know, hey, the insurance company just figures out somebody just took it. We need to go find the lady. I don't know. It all, it all feels very contrived. Um, it's well-meaning. It's not terribly well done, which is disappointing. It's directed by Andy Tennant, who, you know, oh, did, Aunt, yeah. you know, while you were sleeping. And, I mean, has done a number of really fine films yeah. in the past, but, you know, is, is, is seems to have lost uh, a little bit in the during the interim. So it's okay. If you are if you love Shirley MacLaine and Jessica Lange, Demi Moore shows up in a, you know, as a, as, as a daughter in, in this, uh, which is kind of a weird thing. Billy Connolly, it's okay. It's fine. It's passable for, the, for people who like these actors. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, Demi Moore could be Jessica Lange's daughter. Jessica Lange uh, could be uh, yeah. Shirley McLean's yeah. daughter. <laughs> all, all, all of these women were women that I had the hots for. At some at point. At some point in my yeah. life, so very often when I was a child. But nevertheless, it's all still very disturbing. Uh, I got one here. Want to knock this one off? Yeah, let's home, do it. Home stretch. This is a this is actually a fairly powerful documentary that follows these six homeless children in, on the streets of Chicago uh, through a long winter as they try with all their heart and soul to stay in school and to graduate and to try to figure out some sort of lives for themselves. So we have these filmmakers following these kids. I, I get a little torn about these things sometimes. Um, uh, when I see a situation like that and then I see filmmakers and the filmmakers are making me a film about it, I always want to, to, to chastise the filmmakers, right? I always want to say to the filmmakers, stop, put that damn camera down, and go take care of those children, particularly in an instance like this. These are fairly young kids, right? But, you know, they're documentarians. They're making a film. That is what they're doing. Um, this is a this is a really heart wrenching film, uh, and, and 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 particularly if we think about some of the things that are going on in the city of Chicago now, with respect to 
the crime right. wave and shootings in the street and things like that, to see these six kids, homeless kids, fighting uh, every way they can, trying to figure out everything they can, trying to figure out how to do their homework in a homeless shelter, trying to figure out how to do their homework in the backseat of a car, trying to figure out uh, uh, how to stay in class and get to school every day, no matter where it is that they went to sleep that night before, at a friend's house, at some relative's house. Yeah. But they, and, and, and you know what? They do it. Mm. They do it. Wow. Uh, I saw this one uh, back for the show. It's an absolutely fantastic film. And it just, I don't know, it evoked an empathy in me that I can't, that I, you know, have a hard time putting words around, except what I just did. Uh, Laid in America with Casper Lee and KSI. Is that his name? KSI? KSI. Okay. I am not down with these kids. Uh, just don't know the scene. So here's the deal. This is your Are we Disney kids? Are we Nickelodeon kids? I don't know. They, what, what kind of kids? Don't know. They're, they're, <laughs> you know I'm, I guess I'm supposed to know who they are. So Casper Lee and KSI play a couple of kids. This is your standard uh, lose your virginity movie about some kids trying to lose their virginity. Think, you know, super bad, except with kids who are not as nerdy and more attractive. Yeah. This has been told a million times. And then, of course, everything goes wrong. It kind of turns into like a teen version of The Hangover. Yeah. Because they got to get invited to this house party in order to be cool enough to get it done. And they're not invited. And it just gets very silly and lame and horrible. Uh, This is on Blu-ray. It's Universal. There's uh, only one featurette on here. I think they know that they have a very limited audience in this. The only thing that makes this unique is that this mismatched pair of buddies, one of them's white, one of them's black. Yeah, so yeah, we've, yeah. we've moved this genre. Though they somehow have the same hair. Yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> same hairstyle. Same hairstyle. Best to do that. That's really so. But there you go. So is that uh, sincerely? Yeah. Is that me and you? Are we doing that? Are we depriving these children of having their basically porkies? I look at that. I'm thinking porkies. <laughs> I'm thinking you know man, whatever it would have been for me. Yeah. And you. yeah. Uh, are, are are we just a couple of old curmudgeons who are denying them that, or does that movie suck as bad as it sucks? It sucks. Okay. Cool. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. All right, uh, we're going to finish up on some docs here, docs and foreign films, if we can get to it. But I want to uh, I want to go through some listener mail really quickly first. Uh, Jason Vargo wrote and said, uh, "You're being too hard on the superstore, Wade. You're absolutely right to say uh, take your criticism with a bit of salt. Uh, it has heart, genuine laughs, lots of outrageous characters. I said outrageous, not offensive or crude." I'd be okay with this falling into a family show provided the kids are 10 years or older. Can't say the same about a lot of other TV comedies. I think they're valid points. And my and what I wrote him back, I said, I'm, you know, workplace comedies, I'm still, I, I guess I'm a curmudgeon. I like the old workplace comedies that were three camera shows. WKRP, Cheers, mm-hmm. Taxi, you know. Oh, we like, talked, uh, even, even uh, Barney Miller. Yeah, uh, Barney uh, Miller. I, I just, you know, I'll, so I will, I will keep an open mind as future seasons come out. But I just, you know, I want my workplace comedies in, in a, on a soundstage with a live audience. That's what I want. And uh, I, at this point, I should also mention, we have had some emails um, over the last uh, number of weeks and months asking about the intro music that we use because it's been a while since we've actually plugged that and asking us what it is. Great question. Uh, The intro music is uh, from an L.A.-based punk band called Ball and Chain. The name of the track is How Hard I Try. They uh, they used to perform around town. They're friends of ours. And uh, they have not performed this in quite a while because, you know, they're all kind of doing other things. But I I have informed them of the interest and that they should make their tracks available somewhere in some format. SoundCloud, Uh, baby, SoundCloud. SoundCloud, something. Somewhere, something, somewhere. Uh, So uh, so there is that as well. 
Uh, let's see here. Kevin Lower, who's given us many fine intros, said, um, figured I would send this while you guys both have uh, control of the podcast. I'm going to admit that I don't have a problem with Zack Snyder. I'm happy he's directing the Justice League movies. I probably like more of his movies than disliked. I liked uh, 300, Watchmen, never saw Gahul, hated Sucker Punch, loved Man of Steel, liked Batman vs. Superman. Uh, for me, I like variety. I'm growing very tired of the sameness of the Marvel movies, and we are already, we've already had Nolan's fantastic Batman movies. Give me the comic book action of Snyder. Like I said, uh, I like Batman vs. Superman. Tons of issues. Saw it twice. First time was just okay. Second time, much better, which I, I actually agree with, uh, to be honest. I, I saw it a second time and did think it was a little better. Uh, but a lot more light comedy would go a long way. Uh, keep, it, keep, it, it's gritty. keep it gritty. Marvel is doing their lighthearted thing. I much prefer DC. Keep it dark. Um, so we, we, we read this now as the, uh, as the Wonder Woman and Justice League films are uh, starting to leak more and more information. Yeah. And appear, apparently are going less dark. So my question to you, Tim Cogshell, mm. do you think that uh, DC is making the right choice. We all have problems with the Zack Snyder approach. And I still do. But is it because it's too dark? Is it going to be remedied by putting more jokes in the film, taking a lighter touch? Or is it something else about his approach that is problematic? The, what problematic, say of the, problematic, the, the problematic thing in all Zack Snyder's films is Zack Snyder. <laughs> <laughs> Zack Snyder, in fact, makes Zack, Snyder's fil- Zack Snyder films. Here's the thing. Um, uh, when it is, in fact, just a Zack Snyder film, it, it, that's fine. That's your style. The 300, for instance. Yeah. That, that, I don't really sure. care about any of that as, as, as applies to that. But when it comes to the, the, the truly iconic films, Marvel, DC, yeah. Universe films, all right, yeah. these films come with a style of their own, an imprimatur of their yeah, own, a, sure. a, a culture of their own. They don't, I don't need Zack Snyder's culture uh, overlaid. Christopher Nolan didn't do that. No. He didn't do that. No. You, 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 don't, you, you don't look at uh, you know, the, the, the Christopher Nolan Batman films and think, oh, those are Christopher Nolan films. Those are Christopher Nolan's Batman films. Yeah. In the same way that Tim Burton's Batman film was Tim Burton's Batman yeah. film. But it's, not, but it's not this thing that he took away from the audience. It's true. Uh, Zack Snyder does that. Every Zack Snyder film will have a Zack Snyder a style uh, to them. And they will ultimately be about the thing that Zack Snyder wants them to be about. And Zack Snyder doesn't really care what the actual film is about. Zack Snyder's movies are all uh, strike a pose and be wet and shiny. Yeah. That's yeah. what it is to me. Everybody he, strikes a pose and they're wet and wet, shiny. Wet, wet down. Do that vignette. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, uh, abs... Yeah. Lots of abs. Yeah. And uh, Zack Snyder's film. So that's the problem. And Joe Nocella, longtime listener, uh, he corrects us, Tim. Mm. We said that uh, Beauty and the Beast was the uh, only animated film ever nominated for Best Picture. He reminds us that Up was also nominated for Best Picture, which is correct. Mm. I had forgotten that. And of yeah. course, I think the reason we forgot that was because that was one of those 10 nominee years. Yeah. And when they have more than, you know, so many five. nominees, <laughs> I just, we, we're yeah. still only in our minds counting the top five. Yeah, and then they, I, everything I, else goes away. Yeah, the others all go but away. But indeed, so. indeed, he's right. Yep, absolutely. So well, well done, Joe. Good catch. Absolutely good catch. All right, you want to email us or send us Vox Boxes, do so at gods at digigods.com. Gods at digigods.com is where you send everything to us, hate mail included. We love it. Send it all. We're all, we're all down with it. Uh, uh, more I, docs. I got a couple of docs over here. This one, just because I think it's neat, it's called Back in Time. 
uh, this documentary by Jason Aaron. All right, so it's the, I think, like 30-year anniversary of Back to the Future. Yep. Uh, and uh, which is just, you know, that makes me a little bit dizzy as I sit here <laughs> thinking yeah. of this 30 years uh, anniversary of Back to the Future. So anyway, um, he's made a really neat documentary, both about that film. It took him two years to make this film, um, um, uh, two years worth of filming to make this film. And, and sure, this is a fan film. This is a film yeah. made by a fan who's a fan of these things and these people. All the principals appear in this documentary. Michael J., of course, and Leah Thompson, and then uh, Bob Zemeckis. They all appear in the film. Uh, Christopher Lloyd. But what this film really does is talk about the cultural impact of, uh, of that film, of the Back to the Future films, particularly the first one. And I gotta tell you, I agree completely. Yeah, I agree. That film really did have an outsized cultural impact for a film that was a studio film and a big studio film, <laughs> you know, uh, that was uh, you know interesting and funny and certainly exciting and all of that kind of stuff. But nevertheless, I think it sort of planted this notion uh, in 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 the greater zeitgeist, of, you know, of, of of what it would mean to go back to the future and then forward into the future and the things that used to be and the things that were and how they all tie together. It's just it was just a really really neat movie um, that has an outside sort of place in the world. You know that movie's only ninety five minutes long. Uh, that's that's good. I, yeah. I did not realize that's that. insane. That's crazy. That's insane. Anyway, this is a documentary uh, called Back in Time. Uh, it's political season, so everybody's out there jockeying for uh, for their people. The Hunting of the President Redux, based on the New York Times bestseller, the 25-year conspiracy to destroy Bill and Hillary Clinton. Uh, we got a lot of documentaries that are, that are sort of anti-Clinton and anti-Trump, and we got them that are pro-Clinton and pro-Trump. We're going to get a lot more. Anyway, this one is very much on the Hillary side because it is uh, co-directed and co-produced and co-written by Harry Thomason who is, of course, the husband of Linda Bloodworth Thomason, television producer and writer, and very, very good friends of the Clintons. So this is essentially his documentary saying, stop picking on my friends. Mm. And uh, you know what? I mean, it's, it's they, not... They a, made that, uh, that, that pivotal documentary, you know, or a profile, I guess you yeah. might call it, for the Bill Clinton inauguration way yeah. back, 92, yeah, 92. Exactly. They, the, the Bloodworth Thomasons produced that. They did. They also, they also produced the, uh, when Bill accepted his, uh, his second nomination... That walking out, remember there was oh, there, yeah. when they put the camera on him as he walked out, it was low and it was dollying backwards, and there was you know yeah. they, they did that too. Yeah. So I mean it's uh, it, it's it's uh, fuel for the fuel for the uh, the the choir uh, is what it is. It's it, you know it, go go find your go find whatever fuels your anger or your glee this season. But uh, if I were a fan of the Clintons, uh, you know, as a fan of the Clintons, I don't think that I would want that. No, probably not. <laughs> so as a probably fan not, unless you're fueling, uh, you know, paranoia or something. I don't know. Anyway, it's silly season. Uh, making a Serial Killer. Uh, this is all about, uh, this is a 13-part documentary series on uh, the uh, most notorious serial killers and unsolved cases in America. It is depressing as hell. I, I'm, at a, I'm of an age now where I really don't want to just sort of inundate myself with, uh, you know, Charles Manson and, and uh, Ted Bundy and Son of Sam and all the rest of this horrible, horrible stuff. It, uh, this gets into Columbine as well, and it, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty awful sit. Uh, some people are really sadistic that way. I guess it's there for you, but I could not watch this thing all the way through. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is interesting to me, a sinner in Mecca, right? Yes. A little documentary. Uh, 
It's a good film. <laughs> Saudi Arabia, the, you know, the kingdom of Saud, has all kinds of issues with all kinds of things. One of the things that they have issues with are uh, gay people. Yes. Yet, uh, all, all true believers are called to make the Hajj to do their pilgrimage, right? And yep. uh, you know, since we know that there are in fact gay people who are devout and called to do the Hajj and make the pilgrimage, yeah. one has to wonder what does a gay guy do <laughs> <laughs> when he wants to go do that? Well, yeah. you get secret about it, and that's what these guys have done. It's an interesting thing. What they've, uh, you know, in a culture where in fact you can be killed uh, for being gay, and, and 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 frankly, for that matter, making movies without the proper um, authorities having told you that you can make a movie. That's what these young uh, young people set out to do to do their pilgrims to make their to make their hajj despite the fact that they are gay uh, and uh, you know they hide it all the way through the film they're not challenging either yeah. the government or the society here in any way shape or form so this isn't about a challenge of that it's simply about them trying to achieve yeah. uh, the you know the, 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 the required thing so interesting thing uh, nothing nothing particular on this this is an English uh, with some subtitles. And uh, a Ken Burns doc, co-directed by Ken Burns, not entirely by Ken Burns. And this is Ken Burns not doing something that is 20 hours long and epic and, uh, and just massive and huge. It's called Defying the Nazis, The Sharps' War. He directed this with Artemis Joukowsky, and it's narrated by Tom Hanks beautifully. And this is the story of a couple, the Sharps, uh, Wade Still and Martha Sharp, who were, this is an American minister and his wife from Massachusetts, and they, um, they made a rather extraordinary choice to uh, go to Europe and engage in uh, a, a basically help dissidents and refugees be able to flee the Nazis through a number of different channels mm -hmm. uh, across Europe. And um, they sacrificed a great deal to be able to do this. And um, it's sort of extraordinary how this minister and his wife became almost spies uh, running a kind of an underground railroad of sorts and, and orchestrating things. It's really an extraordinary story. I'm, I'm stunned that nobody has found this story for a, for a narrative film. This is kind of a, a, amazing to me because it deserves to be one, and maybe this will inspire somebody to do it, but I'm really amazed that this story wasn't found for a narrative film before this because it's really, really great. It reminded me a little bit of a, a, a Claude Berry French film called Lucio Brock that is still one of my favorite films, never released on Blu-ray or DVD. Um, I think it is on DVD. It's not on Blu-ray, but uh, with uh, Carol Bouquet and uh, Daniel Otoy. Amazing movie. Uh, and they're, they're tangling with Klaus Barbie in kind of a similar way. Anyway, this is called uh, Defying the Nazis, The Sharps War by Ken Burns and Artemis Joukowsky from PBS. Really, really, really a great doc. Mm. Uh, one here, When Justice Isn't Just. This Boy, is that's a very, timely. It's very timely. It's Super a very short timely. film. It's only, 40, it's only a 40-minute film. Uh, basically, it speaks to you know the, the, the shootings of black community, black community, police uh, issues, the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, ben, uh, civil rights attorney ben, Benjamin Crump is on this thing. Dr. Cornell West is on this thing. A few folks from Black Lives Matters, as well as some law enforcement officials, yeah. some sheriffs, some LAPD detectives. Extremely timely. Uh, when justice isn't just. And then uh, above and below, our last two docs here. Uh, oh, actually. Uh, this is not a doc. That's I'll cover that at the very end. Above and Below uh, by Nicholas Steiner. So this is from Oscilloscope. 
this is, uh, you know, kind of a. This is. A, it's. It's hard to really categorize this. This is sort of it's not more exactly a doc. But it's not, not a doc. Exactly it's a like movie. a. Well, actually, the last one's not really a doc either. Uh, these. These are both sort of out of category. This is a. This is more of a mood piece, dealing with people who are on the fringes of society. It's kind of a. I, I, it it's almost feels like a modern western in some respects, um, but it, but you got to live it in a flood channel. You yeah, gotta, you, gotta, you got you know it's all it's all out near Vegas. People in the desert. Pe- people who just live on the edge on the fringes of society. It doesn't really coalesce into a into a cohesive whole. It's just more a lot of character studies and mm. little little individual mood pieces. But um, it's very nicely made. It's very deeply affecting. I just wish it had a little bit more structure to it. But still. Um, that's from Oscilloscope, and it is called Above and Below. And then uh, another kind of a, an interesting little oddity, Barbarians Rising. This is from the History Channel. Um, there's a certain point at which this stuff from the History Channel really... It, they, they mean for it to be taken like as a documentary, mm. but what it really turns into is we wanted to make a series of epic ancient battle movies, but we didn't really have the talent to write dialogue to go with them. So we'll get a documentary narration that goes over all of these artificially staged scenes that involve, you know, Hannibal and Spartacus and Attila the Hun. And we'll, we'll just, we'll stage these movies, but we won't really bother with dialogue. We'll throw a narration yeah. and that makes it a documentary. Lots of, lots of great Foley. That makes it a documentary. What does <laughs> yeah, that make I it? it, it no it's, I don't know either. But anyway, uh, this is, you know, they, they threw some money into this, but not a lot. So it's some, it sits somewhere in a weird netherworld that is some new new storytelling medium. I don't really know People what to call it. People love those. People I know they love do. those things. Anyway, it's uh, called Barbarians Rising. Uh, it's on Blu-ray and Ultraviolet. And then uh, before we completely run out of time, we have uh, we got a lot of foreign films here that we have not gotten to, but I am obligated morally to uh, close the show uh, with uh, uh, yeah, Christoph uh, Kieslowski's Decalogue, which is now out on Blu-ray from Criterion in a beautiful, beautiful custom box set. Um, many of us have waited our entire lives for this. This was, <laughs> seriously, this is as good as filmmaking ever gets. You know, Kieslowski, I... Um, did you, ever, did you ever you meet him? Did you ever talk to Kieslowski? No, no, never did. Never did. I, I remember, I was at... Um, I first brushed with him at Cannes in 94 when he was there in competition with uh, Red, Three with Colors Red. Red. Yeah, yeah, the and everyone expected that to sort of give him the, the, to be the first triple crown winner of the major festivals, right? Because he had won Venice. Mm. He'd won Berlin. He won, he won Berlin with Blue. He won Venice with White. Here's the third film. He's at Cannes. It's in competition. It's amazing. Everybody thinks, oh, my gosh, triple crown. He's going to be the first guy. And with the, with the, with the trilogy, it's going to be amazing. It's a fairy tale ending. And damn Clint Eastwood went and leveraged the jury to give it to Pulp Fiction. Yeah. And Kislowski walked away with nothing. It was just a, it was a disgrace. It was such a lost opportunity. But uh, and a very Considering, particularly, uh, the, so at the time, on the day. On the day. Clint would have probably got me. Yeah. Uh, because Pulp Fiction was a film that in 1994 yeah. I was deeply enamored of. Pulp Fiction has worn not so fantastic. Not so well. The, the 20, whatever it is. Yet these films, the Decalogue in red, white, and blue, the, yeah. the, the, the yeah. through color, these are films that you can put into the Decalogue, uh, basically Ten Commandments. That's it. It's ten, it's, ten, it's, films, it's ten films, each, each, each one dealing with. But what's, what's great about the Decalogue is that 
you, yes, you realize that each one of these stories is based on a ten on a, on one of the mm, Ten Commandments. Mm. You know, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain, all all the uh, don't covet. Right, we know them all, but it's not clear which commandment that's not any cl- given. It, it's not clear which yeah. how how that figures into the story. Yeah. You'll watch it and you'll say, okay, so thou shalt. But what, how, is this? what, what does this, this have this, to do this, with this, that? This, 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 this is about you know. Yeah, it's very very. It goes very well, for one thing, this was a television. This was a this is a series of Polish television. television. Polish television. Polish television. Polish television. It's not a movie. It was a TV. Yeah. Um, and so you kind of have to watch them in that context. Everybody funny now. Everybody does anyway. Everybody would yeah. just binge that yeah. uh, from beginning to uh, to end. The modern. It's still modern though. You look at that. Those movies. Uh, yeah. Those programs. Totally and completely modern. All takes place in a single Polish housing project. Yeah. Is important to say. Uh, they all kind of interconnect in in very interesting subtle ways. Something he does also in Blue, White, and Red. Yeah. But it, it, it's very subtle. You'll, you, there's some person in the background kind of who, you know, crosses walks over, the, crosses the over and that person is in all of them. You're like, wait, that's, I'm, what is the... Yeah. And, and you, it's all very symbolic and, and clever and wonderful. And I actually, um, you know, I, I remember that in 94 so well because somebody said to him, here he is, you know, this brusque-looking Polish guy, very Eastern European stern sitting up there, and someone said, you know, your movie, The Color Red, is used in such and such and such and such a way. Is that, were you, were you trying to suggest some kind of symbolic representation of the thud, da 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 And Kieslowski just kind of shrugs and leans into the microphone and goes, yeah, sure, that works for me. <laughs> yeah, he, just, he, he just so brushed it off. Very Polish. It was such a, it was such a pretentious question. And here's this guy who makes these really artsy movies who just takes none of it seriously. Yeah. And and uh, I I was one of the last interviews he had here before he he died. Uh, Ziggy set me up with Ziggy, the interview. Yeah. And, and uh, I was so excited. And Ziggy's a good friend of ours, a publicist with uh, with a, pub, a PR firm here that we've known for many many years. And he's you know he is Polish. Yeah. His parents are Polish immigrants. And uh, he was just loving being around Kieslowski. And uh, you know I uh, I said to him I said I, I just can't wait to actually meet him. And the f- here's the thing about Kieslowski. He, he used to want to be a novelist. Ah. Oh. And he, to him, this is an inferior art form. Yeah. It's an inferior art form. Yeah. It's just, it's not... Uh, of which he is a master. Of, of which he is a master. So, in any case. Um, but uh, there it is. So, that is um, Christoph Kieslowski's Decalogue. It is, uh, it is just absolutely magnificent, and uh, it is genius, and it comes with lots and lots of really, really great extras on it. Uh, archival interviews with Kieslowski, from, uh, especially from a 1987 uh, television piece on the production of the film, and some others that are more recent from the 1990s. Um, archival interviews with cast and crew, trailers. Uh, it's all beautiful. And, and be, bear in mind, when this has been out before on, on, Blue, on uh, DVD... No, I, have it on, I have it on DVD. Yeah, it, was, it, it looked scrapey and gruff and mm. kind of... De- this is a 4K remaster, and it is amazing, absolutely. Absolutely amazing, just beautiful to look at. So that that, would, that was made when it's because it's uh, it's it's uh, it's it's uh, uh, one th- it's one three three nineteen eighty eight nineteen eighty eight. So it's sh- it's still shaped in the uh, in the you know old television aspect. And it includes it includes the widescreen feature film, uh, a short film about killing and a short film about love, which are elaborations on two of these. So uh, it is it is just wonderful. You must own this. It is fantastic. With that, we are done, and uh, we are keeping our fingers crossed that Mark gets his health back, and we will see him back soon. Hang in there, Mark. See you guys. <laughs>